Welcome to the 100th episode of Merge Conflict. You're in for a treat. To celebrate this milestone, we're running our very first contest. We will be giving away five Merge Conflict and Soundbite.fm prize packs valued at over $100 each. It's super easy to enter. Just visit mergeconflict.fm slash contest for all the details. That's mergeconflict.fm slash contest. You can find that link in the show notes below. Be sure to get your entries in by June 11th for a chance to win. Now on with the show. Frank, we did it. We recorded 100 episodes of Merge Conflict. Can you believe it? I think we actually did more. Didn't we throw some away? But yeah, congratulations to us. (laughs) Yay, rounds of applause. We did it. We did it. (laughs) Oh my God. Yeah, I think we were talking about this around episode 50. Would we make it to 100? And we did, folks. You're still listening. Thanks. We appreciate it. (laughs) Yes, very first off the bat, a big, big thanks to our listener community out there. Not only do we get to you know, actually see some of you in, in, in person, like at events, like at Build, mm-hmm. but we're always interacting on Twitter and we read the comments and we get the emails. We got some voicemails this week, which is really awesome. Nice. Yeah. Uh, I think that, you know, the show wouldn't go on without all the supports of our listeners. And honestly, Frank, you just putting up with me too. So, I, so thank you so much. <laughs> oh, I appreciate that. Um, I guess I'm supposed to say thanks for putting up with me too. But oh. no, what's a show? What's a show without listeners, right? So <laughs> it's really on them. We're, we're just the animals in this race. <laughs> yeah, I think it's fun because we, you know, that episode 10, you know, this is a base 10. For some reason, we decided that we're going to be lightning talk episodes. And that really got mm-hmm. us uh, engaged with our listener community to get feedback of what, what do you want us to listen to? And we're always listening to or even if we don't talk about a topic, it's always on this big spreadsheet. We We list everything that you folks tell us and we always want to get back to it so um it's just been a really fun ride it's like how i do bugs i write down absolutely everything i want to change in the app and the list gets to be 200 items long and i'm like well i can do about four of these (laughs) but (laughs) that feels like our topic list sometimes but I, i i love that any anytime someone brings up a good topic i'm like yes adding it to the list yeah add it to that list and it's it's quite fun you know the reason there's a lot of reasons I figured this is going to be a very meta episode. You know, I've listened to yeah. a lot of people when they hit major milestones, you know, talk about the podcast, like what they are. Maybe we have new listeners that are coming in for the first time. So it'll probably be pretty meta, but also we want to kind of give you a little bit of information about the podcast, how it works, you know, what does it you know take for James and Frank to get on the phone, essentially, for what an hour two hours uh, once a week sometimes it's two hours yeah you'd be surprised how long it takes to record a 30 to 40 minute podcast <laughs> you have to banter with each other for a half hour to remember how to talk i don't think i talk very much during the day so i really need that warm-up session of oh yeah this is how you communicate with people <laughs> yeah and, and that's why that's why i you know we started the podcast is when when we first met and became friends, we were we started to do a lot of activities together. And we're like, man, if you could just take our conversations and put that into a into some virtual digital Ugh. form, then boom, you it got a seems podcast. So easy. Yeah. There, there were no schedules back then. We didn't have to coordinate anything. You didn't have to like have ideas. <laughs> you just had a beer and the ideas flowed. <laughs> yeah, just, you, you you were writing some code. And then you got on and said, this is what I'm writing and this is what I'm doing. And <laughs> yeah, it happened. Oh, boy. So 
Um, so Meta, what, what do you think people are interested in hearing about this? Should we talk about what microphones we use? Oh, I, I think we actually did that once, didn't we? <laughs> I definitely wrote a blog post about it. I'm, I'm now okay. going through the podcast and seeing how many architecture and MVVM sessions we did. That's a oh, lot. Yeah. Uh, I'd love to see some stats on this show. How many times did we mention Marco? How many times did we mention Miguel? I, I, I'm, I love stats. Are there any good transcription services yet? I wish podcasts had a good online transcription so we could do that kind of uh, digging. I think there's a few, but I believe that they are pretty expensive, and I don't think oh, we make darn. that. I don't think we make that much money off of our advertisers. Darn. So, uh, yeah, I think you know it's a kind of good to set some base level. So, you know, who is Frank? Who is this Frank uh, hmm. Kruger fellow that people listen to? Oh. Okay. Um, you, you want me to answer that? Who yeah. is Frank? Well, I'll tell you who um, Frank, Frank is to me. So Frank Kruger, how about oh, we do good. each other's intro? This is easier. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so Frank Kruger is uh, a lovely gentleman who lives in Seattle and grew up in the on the East Coast, uh, from what I know, and visits there uh, frequently. He's uh, the man behind the scenes of many libraries that you probably use inside of your applications, most notably SQLite-Net, which is the one that I use. Frank is a, a gentle being who um, rides around on his one wheel around the city of Aww. Seattle. He uh, is, a, is a sweetheart. He's a really pure, nice soul, I would say. Very inviting. I would say out of wow. people in Seattle, he's, he's very open to, to do stuff. He's not like your typical Seattleite. But also, he's, you know, he's a man that, uh, to me, is just a really good friend. He's very, like I said, open, willing to... to uh, work with anyone, solve people's problems. Uh, he's an amazing, uh, you know, cross-platform developer, but has made some amazing applications. I also really enjoy that Frank, um, he takes sometimes my suggestions and then does it. So I was like, Hey, you should really put Calca into the windows store. And he oh, like, yeah. did it, you know, and those are the type of things that Frank is known for. He, he sees a challenge and he has to, he has to finish it. He has to accomplish it. And that's what, I like about it. And that's why I love doing this podcast with you. Wow. That was, wow. You, you get an A plus for that one. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks. Uh, but, but on that note, I'll actually add a serious point. Um, you can learn from anyone. So um, n never never get so f full of yourself. If, if a friend says to you, you're doing something wrong and you should do it differently, then absolutely listen to them. It's just a good life lesson. That's there. a good point. Yeah. Oh, James. Who is James? James rides a bike. We should start there. James rides bikes and drinks a lot of coffee. So you can imagine he's full of high energy and you have to deal with his high energy. James is also a millennial. Uh, he had a beard at one point hitting peak millennial. Um, <laughs> but um, I guess those are mostly off-putting to me. <laughs> so the reason... <laughs> I, I actually enjoy James is because um, I like uh, how his mind works. And specifically, I like how much he devotes himself to, well, I was going to say specifically open source projects and creating libraries and all that stuff. But the truth is, James throws himself into pretty much everything any project he takes on. So, wow, this is getting, like, we should do a roast instead of this. This is sounding way too nice. I'm not used to being nice to people. I'm, I'm from New York. Um, <laughs> um, so, James writes a lot of nice libraries and throws himself into the community, obviously, and every project. So, thank you for making this podcast one of your many awesome projects. <laughs> 
Well, no, well, thank you. Yeah, I think that when we when we first met, which was at like a Xamarin Drink Up many moons ago, a lot of people ask us this as is I was I didn't work at Xamarin yet. This was what 2012, yeah, 2000. Sure. Did, Great. Let's sorry. go with that. Yeah, I think that's about right. And there's a lot of people there. And we told this story during build. And there's a lot of people there. And I remember Onage, who uh, works as Xamarin at Microsoft now, he he introduced me to Frank because I was there. I didn't really know anybody. I you know I wasn't really part of the the mono or .NET <laughs> crowd at all. I was just a little tiny solo developer building mobile apps with Xamarin. And I saw this blog post on Xamarin about this drink up in Seattle. I was like, oh, that's cool. I'll go. Um, I'll, I'll take a free free drink. And uh, I remember introducing myself to you and, and you're like, oh, I'm Frank Krueger, blah, blah, blah. And we started chatting and I go, oh, crap, is that the, that's Kruger. I was like, I wonder if that's the same Kruger from Kruger Systems, which was in this big, you know, comment block in every single one of my <laughs> SQLite, you know, source code files. And, and sure enough, uh, that was you. And, and, and I was, that was me. I was starstruck actually a little bit, which is kind of funny. Uh. Uh, it's funny because I was always a hermit uh, programmer, always kind of worked out in my apartment. So getting involved in the mono community was my first like kind of getting out there and talking to people kind of thing. And so um, it, it, it's funny that that's how we met was just one of these <laughs> kind of mono meetups. It was a Xamarin meetup, right? W- what brought you there? What, what, were, what were you trying to get out of a meetup with talking to other people? That is a good question. Oh man, I need to go back in time. But for me, I think I was I was just sort of entering. I was about maybe a year into the development process and life cycle. And I was pretty far along in it. And I never gone to any user groups or any meetups or anything of that type. I was I was like you, I was pretty much a hermit um, developer. I was working at one point ninety hour weeks and I was sleeping in the office and we were a very small company and you had to do what you had to do to, to ship code. And I was by myself. So I was here in Seattle and I'd ride my bike back and forth to work, you know, over to Kirkland. And I believe what really, it just happened to be that like I, it was in Bellevue and Kirkland's really close to Bellevue. So I said, why not? It was one of those things where it was on the blog. It was like, why not? Maybe I'll have mm-hmm. a good conversation. But it was around that time that I believe like Xamarin was starting their MVP program and, you know, they Uh, wanted to kind of get a little bit more involved and just see uh, more interestingly who else is out there building things. And maybe I can, you know, ask them some questions or meet some new friends. I was also really new in the city. I was about a year, year and a half in, and it was just me and my buddy, Jesse, who worked at Amazon. So I didn't really have tons of friends outside of work. So I think that was also my motivation is to say, oh, it's easy to become friends with people that are like-minded, that are doing things similar because you have something to talk about right away, just like you and I started talking about, you know, settings and, and preferences. <laughs> so, And it's led to all of this. Yeah, um, um, good. Pro tip number two from this podcast, <laughs> go, go out to user groups. It's, it's always to get out, get out of your house and talk to other devs. It's amazing. Going back to that first point I was trying to make, um, I, you can learn from everyone, and especially the eclectic group that you get at these events is just just wonderful. I wouldn't have half my ideas unless I was talking to so many people. Yeah, I think that's definitely something I've learned more that we, we created a user group here. We haven't done it this year, but we did it for three years. 
and met so many great individuals. We'll bring it back at some point, I promise. Uh, but it's <laughs> been so good to really get out into the community. I mean, this build this year, we, we did our behind the scenes on our Patreon page for everybody. But it was yeah really great just to meet more people that, you know, we get our voice out there even more. And, and I think my hope and dream has always to been to help developers build great applications on any platform, whether it's, you know, desktop or mobile or something else. And hopefully I will find a passion for that just yeah. because the scope and span of mobile, you know, if you listen to the interview with Paige, for instance, um, from 98, that was you know really eye opening just how much AI and machine learning is a whole other aspect. You don't have to really worry about the app part of it. You know, that could just be some of your focus is on that, that part, but it really impacts the, the apps and the things you're doing. So you can be passionate about so many different topics. That's why I love development. So you, you brought up build. So that was our, uh, break, uh, great break from format. And, uh, we did a bunch of interviews with people. And so that was really us getting out and trying to learn something that we're, we're weak in. <laughs> I don't think either of us is good at accessibility. Neither of us are great at machine learning. Neither of us built mono. <laughs> so <laughs> there's a lot to be learned from it. So I'm actually really curious to hear uh, what the listeners thought of those episodes. If they like that format at all, should we do it more often? That kind of stuff. A, a fun experiment. And I think that's also what I'm enjoying about this podcast is the opportunity not only to talk to all these smart people, but to experiment <laughs> yeah what did you, you and the smart people what did you think of uh of of that format i think i don't want to turn our show into an interview show but i think much like we do um our uh every 10 episode lightning talks i think we could do uh, every x amount of episodes interview i think that would be great fun yeah i like that that's a good idea i think i think I think it was really nice to sit down and, and not have to come up with topics the entire time. But yeah, I mean, it, to me, it was fun. I yeah. Mean, you know. And learning. I mean, just flat out. I um, I had a terrible nickname in high school. I had many terrible nicknames in high school, but one of them was that I sucked the knowledge out of a room. And that's just because I love being in a room with a smart person and I'll just interrogate them until I have all their information in my head. <laughs> <sighs> yeah. So what... I guess for you, I mean, you did talk a little bit about your setup at home. You know, we've definitely expanded and, and done a lot. I, I definitely did do a blog post about my podcast setup, but, you know, we both travel a lot and, and my podcast setup is yeah. quite interesting. I've on this podcast, I've probably recorded in several countries, as so have you. Mm. Uh, I've mm -hmm. recorded on campus. I've recorded at home. I've recorded in hotels. I've recorded live at conferences. You know, my preferred spot is home right now. I'm at home usually. So the normal flow of the podcast, here's some inside soccer. Everyone says inside <laughs> baseball, but I'm not a baseball fan. I'm a soccer fan. So inside soccer, ah, okay. uh, some inside soccer is that, you know, we record every, you know, we've re released an episode every single week. We record every single Monday, almost to a beat. I mean, in the beginning, we were a little bit all over the place. It was, <laughs> it was pretty much, but then now I go into the office every single day and, we record 4.30 on Monday for the next week. So we actually record a week early. I don't know if a lot of people know that at all. Um, it's interesting because our podcast isn't necessarily always about a timely thing. Or we can do a special episode like, oh, WWDC is coming out. Let's record on the day and then record, you know, put it out tomorrow. So we actually record a whole week ahead of time, which I think is is different than a lot of podcasts. 
Well, I think it's good. It gives the editor a lot of time to remove all my ums and all my giggling. And pretty much any time I laugh at my own joke gives the editor time to remove all that. So I say more time to the editor, the better. Oh, and I should mention the editor is you. So good for you. Thanks. Yes. I When I signed up for this, I wasn't doing all the things that I'm doing today. And uh, I, yeah, I, I sit down and I edit the podcast. One thing that we do is we also do this thing called live to tape. Uh, and I didn't really know what that meant until I listened to the podcast method with Dan Benjamin, who was talking about how he records a lot of his podcasts. So what that means is Frank and I get on the microphone for, like I said, a half an hour, 45 minutes. I press record inside of Zencaster and whatever is recorded in the show is what's in the show. Unless something terrible. <laughs> what's in the show is in the show. Yes. It's in the Love show. It. It's in the show. Very rarely <laughs> do I have to edit out Frank's shenanigans or my shenanigans. <laughs> uh, we've been, I think, really lucky. So I can get done editing in 20, 30 minutes. It's usually my goal is to say, if we record a 45 minute podcast, I want to be done uh, editing that episode within 45 minutes. So however long it is. Wow. That's my goal. Wow. Mm-hmm. So do you edit at high speed or you uh, don't listen through when you edit? Sorry, editor question. <laughs> yeah, it's a great question because what I do is I listen. So I take, uh, there's a few things that are nice here. So here's some real inside, inside soccer <laughs> is we use Zencaster and Zencaster does some auto production, which will automatically remove noise. So when there's trucks and background noise in <laughs> Seattle, it happens or at a conference, it'll try to remove stuff. And it will also levelize Frank and I's audio. Now that's really nice because that it's it's at least consistent. And you'll notice that I had to do a lot of that manually during the live interview shows because it's a way yeah. different setup. So that dumps out two WAV files. I dump it in Audacity, then I start editing. And if you look at the waveforms, if I'm talking for you know ten minutes straight, which is you know happens from time to time, uh, I don't really have to edit that at all. Like I listen, I'll see if there's any weird peaks. Maybe I'm slapping my cheeks together or something weird, or I click something, I'll remove oh, okay. that. Uh, and and if Frank says something while I'm talking, sometimes I'll mute that if it's not beneficial. But often I can just kind of skip around really quick and just put bumper music in, bumper music at the end. And then boom, slap in a uh, slap in the audio and export, and I'm done. Bumper music and slap in that audio sounds so easy. Sounds so yeah, easy. Yeah, it's good to know you're. So you're not removing my ums. Oh, that's that's too bad. I think. Sorry, listeners. <laughs> I, I'm trying not to do it. <laughs> I try to keep it pretty. Whatever's in it is what is in it. Uh, you know, Heather and her podcast and Trinspo, that's all interview style. And she does a lot of editing and has heavy editing. Okay. Yeah. And it takes yeah. her hours to do it. And I just don't have time. Oh yeah. But I think we do a pretty good job. It's nice that you, I'm kind of a professional speaker, but I still make tons tons of mistakes and you are, I think on the podcast, a professional speaker and you speak well. Thank you. Yeah. Oh, okay. You know, I thought I was doing a lot of speaking when I was speaking at conferences, but in retrospect, that was like four or five one-hour presentations a year. And now I'm at 50 mm-hmm. <laughs> per year. Yeah. And so, yeah, you really... I mean, I, I I try not to like go into like a false radio voice or anything. Obviously, I have my nice nasally nerdy voice. But I do try to concentrate and not put in too many ums or too much giggling. 
Yeah, in the very be- obviously, I can't. In the very beginning, I, there was any swear words, which we've done a good job of not having. I would edit those out, or if we would speak to one of the dinguses in the room, I would attempt to. Oh, yeah. I think the dingus dingai are smart enough now to not, you know, start talking. That's too bad. That that was a great podcast meme when we were all doing it and making up cute little names. But hey, dingus will live on forever. Because if you say it, your dingus may actually start up. So that's also the problem. Yeah, but maybe people want to listen to some dubstep. <laughs> you could. Maybe that's a good thing. It's very, it's very <laughs> possible. It's very possible. Uh, what other inside baseball do we have? Hmm. Mm, I don't know. I'll add to the pro tips, though. Definitely get a mic arm so your mic isn't sitting on your desk. It's been revolutionary for me, number one, because I can actually type during the podcast now, <laughs> which I shouldn't have mentioned, but it's nice. <laughs> so... Bit small steps, and I um I'll also give we already gave a shout out for it, but that blue raspberry mic that thing's just been a warhorse. I've taken it everywhere, I've treated it terribly, um, but it's it's just worked everywhere. Very expensive, but worth the money. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely worth that. I I've upgraded to a blue microphone with a stand and a blue pop filter, but I still have my blue Nessie at home on the road. This you know right now I'll be with my blue raspberry. So I have all these blue products just absolutely everywhere. So um, it's pretty good. I should also mention, you know, that we, a lot of it is listener feedback and and listener love. So we um, often get sponsors on the podcast, also have patrons. And a lot of people just have asked, you know, like, Hey, how does that whole work? And I think a lot of podcasters don't Mm. talk about it. So I'm going to talk about it. Are you okay with me talking about it? Yeah, no problem. So, you know, uh, what's interesting in the podcast game there's no one likes to talk about anything. So there's like all of your numbers, like what's a good download number is a hundred downloads. Good. Is a 500 downloads. Good. Is a thousand downloads. Good. Nobody knows. Uh, and it's never been all about the numbers for us, but it does help make us the ability to print off stickers. So <laughs> when I reach out, which is very important, yeah, it's very important. <laughs> now we don't have hundreds of millions of listeners every single week. You know, we range somewhere in between a four to you know, 8,000 range, I would say it was pretty good. Our top episode is, you know, eight, 9,000, something like that. It's quite a lot. I think we, I try to, I think if we hit four or 5,000, you know, it's pretty good in the first month for an episode. I'm pretty, pretty pleased with that. Mm -hmm. And those are the numbers that we take to sponsors. So sometimes sponsors come to us. Sometimes we go to sponsors and they have different rates that are out there. And we've done a really good job of giving kind of uh, companies base rates and they kind of grown over the years into the from the hundreds to the 200s ish per episode type of of range it kind of just depends and pre-roll so if you hear those little ads at the very beginning where they're very short like under 30 seconds those are actually uh cost per thousand listens so those you give a advertiser a number say oh ten dollars per thousand listens and then after a month you say hey i got five thousand listens that'll be fifty dollars please uh so and that, that's kind of how it works you're, you're, we're not making mm-hmm. um b- bajillions of dollars we're not also doing this for the money but wait i shouldn't have quit my job no i mean the job i don't have <laughs> yeah yeah frank now you tell me <laughs> frank did get a big a big nice check at the beginning of the year so um wasn't that much but it was something <laughs> Yeah, because oh no, it got me a computer. Oh, there you go. Yeah, so you got your computer. <laughs> yeah, because a, a lot of the a lot of the money goes towards you know hosting fees and advertising and stickers and the money is is that cylindrical cycle of, of things. But I do it because it's fun. But I also figure yeah. people like 
like to know the numbers and kind of how we're we've grown a lot. We keep keep growing. I think sl- yeah. slowly now, but we're we're getting up there. No, I mean it, it's we're not trying to turn it into a profit machine right now, and it definitely isn't. But like you said, there's just weird expenses to this kind of stuff, like running the website, the hosting for the audio, and I'm sorry, but pins and stickers and t-shirts which we haven't done but t-shirts eventually are required podcast stuff yeah. so this it has to happen yeah and so we thank everyone for um listening to the ads and uh helping us with patrons yeah. patron support for all that yeah and that said i will be honest with you that apple now has some statistics of like when and how long people are listening and most people listen to about 95 96 percent of the episode Oh, nice. Mm-hmm. And surprisingly, about 80% of people listen to the ad spot. Ah, oh, excellent. Mm-hmm. I love that. Um, you know, it's funny, just podcasts in general. The only time I ever learned podcast numbers, too, is sometimes I look to advertise my apps on other podcasts because there are these crazy stats to say podcast listeners are actually listening to ads and are actually engaged, you know, so it's a great advertising platform. And if you look to some of the uh I'm going to call them bigger podcasts than us. <laughs> um, then when you ask for their ad rates, they'll tell you their numbers and that kind of stuff. And you can negotiate. And I will say that that uh, if you are an independent app developer out there like me, it is a great channel because people are super engaged in a podcast. And when you get a little test, not even a testimonial, but just a reading from a podcast host, people listen. It's great. Yeah. And anyone, you know, we have a form and you go to mergeconflict.fm slash sponsorship. You can learn all about the different ads. You just email us. We handle it for you. Not only on Merge Conflict, but any of the podcasts on soundbite.fm, which is the podcast network that I run. Uh, we have mm-hmm. five podcasts out there doing all sorts of different oh my stuff. God. <laughs> yeah, we're all over the place. So it's We're going to have to do a Soundbite meta episode at some point. <laughs> How I built it. Always Amber informed. Yes. Uh, oh, yeah, that one too. So uh, before we, we actually did ask for a lot of listeners to write into the show, and we actually have some lightning talk stuff, but I'll, I want to go over a little bit more numbers because I like to geek out because Fireside, our hosts, provide yeah. some fun facts. So let's do it. How, what of the percentage of listeners do you think use an iOS device? Oh, golly, golly, I'm I'm going to lose here, aren't I? Um, I want it to be high, obviously, but it's going to be low because .NET developers love their windows. So, <laughs> oh, 40%? 50%. Oh, bravo, people, bravo. Good taste. I'm sorry, Android is a lovely platform also, but good taste. <laughs> and so of, of that, uh, about... What is that? 70% use the podcast app from Apple and tw- oh, 30, 20, 25% use Overcast. So look, look, all you with good taste, increase your level of taste <laughs> to something beyond the podcast app. Use Overcast, use MoCast, use literally anything other than the internal one. <laughs> yeah, it's the, the thing is, it's there and it's the default and it, it works. Is, it kind is. Of. I make fun support indie devs <laughs> yeah uh what else is there let's see android uh is about there's i would say about 25 percent, and then the rest is mm-hmm. split up between your know, desktop and older windows phone people and listen on the Linux. desktop that's cool Pe- people listen on the desktop we have you know some people on um windows would be just windows desktop is oh thir- listening through the browser that makes sense yeah i believe so yeah 13 percent or so and then mac os is 10 percent. so Pretty good. Oh, pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah, never would have guessed that. Good. 
Honestly, yeah. I, was, I was really surprised that everyone actually listens to the full episode. I've been doing a few experiments in YouTube land. And mm-hmm. in that world, you're lucky if people listen to the first, uh, what, 20% of your episode. And then people tend to drop off. So hear, hearing that 90% number was pretty great for me. Do you want to guess what our number one state is? <laughs> Happiness. No, no, st- <laughs> st- st- state or region in the United States. Oh, uh, would it be Washington? Come no, on, Washington. Number three. Number three. You're never oh. going to guess this. You're never going to guess it. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm going to go big state. Ohio. No, they're not even in the oh. top ten. Virginia. Oh. Virginia. Oh, okay. Hmm. I don't know. Who's in Virginia? I think well, all the def- defense contractors. Shh. <laughs> uh, I'm out of the military business now. <laughs> yeah. The it's, U.S. is the number one state, followed by the U.K., Germany, Australia, Canada, Brazil. Huge listener base mm. in Brazil. Thanks, everyone. Denmark, Sweden, Netherlands, and Belgium. So thanks to all awesome. of our listeners, truly all around the world. I, I love looking at the maps and seeing where people are downloading stuff and just it's kind of cool just in general germany must have the best english classes because germany is always my number two country for my apps also Mm. so they just must have just a country full of english speakers (laughs) probably yeah because i don't translate my apps i really need to but i don't (laughs) if there was only a service for that somewhere gosh stop it (laughs) All right, so before we get into our listener questions and some voicemails, let's take a quick break because we do have a sponsor, Frank. We did it. Uh, Our good friends over at BitRise. You know BitRise. Yep, Frank uses BitRise. I've used BitRise. I still use BitRise for some of my apps. They help automate builds for any mobile application. They allow you to create these powerful workflows for your app. So you tie it up to GitHub or VSTS or you know, any of your other Git engines or anything out there, your source code, and you can create these powerful workflows to automate the CI and CD of your applications and test. So what's cool here is that you have over 170 open source integrations. So these are things from, I just want to build it. I want to bump a version number. I want to ship it to test, but I want to do all of those things for my application and it will automatically provision a Mac OS machine, download, build your application, do a drop, handle everything for you. It'll sign it, it'll package it, it'll take care of every little thing for you. And then automatically have that happen with every single commit. Whether you're in a branch, whether you're in a fork, whether you're in the master, you can decide. So there's actually different triggers to say, oh, if I'm in feature slash, run this test. If I'm on bug slash, maybe run these regression tests. Because I also have full test automation too. So as you just build, you can test, you can deploy. And it's used by tons of companies out there. So Fox, Envision, PagerDuty. They have a huge community of over 40,000 developers out there. And what's really great about BitRise is that you can get started for free in minutes. And they also have a CLI, a command line interface, that you can run locally before you even kick off any of those builds. So in addition to all of this, they optimize for iOS, Android. They also do hybrid applications, Xamarin applications. They do everything. They can handle automatic provisioning. They can handle actually shipping your Android app to automatically do UI, virtual device testing, and a lot more. So all you got to do is go to bitrise, B-I-T-R-I-S-E dot I-O to learn more. That's it. You can sign up for a free account get started within minutes, bitrise.io. And thanks, Bitrise, for sponsoring 
the 100th episode of Merge Conflict. Mm. What an auspicious episode. (laughs) Yeah. And I I know I've said it before, but I just had to say it one more time. I use BitRise because I love their user interface. It's just giant green buttons, giant red buttons. You know what things are happening. (laughs) What's happening. (laughs) Put it in there. Boom. Done. (sighs) So do you want to get to some questions? We we, we said for like the last week or two, we're like, hey, we want you to write in. We want you to leave some voicemails. And people did it. I've been looking forward to this part the whole episode. This has all just been a lead up. I, I always just like hearing what people have to say and what they're thinking about and what they want to know about. So let's yeah. do it. So the first one is coming from Dominic. Uh, he actually left a voicemail for us. So instead awesome. of us repeating back the question, we'll just go ahead and play it. So let's play it right now. Hey, serdeczne pozdrowienia z Polski, which means hi, best regards from Poland. Dominic here, and I'd like to ask about the future of mobile development. What do you think? How is mobile development going to look like in, let's say, 10, 15 years from now? What devices are we going to program for? Are they going to be just another generation of smartphones or something completely different, like HoloLens or something like this? Cheers. All right, so there we go. So Dominic asks, really, at a high level, Frank, what is the future of mobile development? What is it going to look like? And what is what are we going to be developing on? Hololens. Uh, small question. Um, quick answer. No. <laughs> <laughs> There's so much going on here. Um, so broadly speaking, just my, my personal view is these mobile devices are with us for the rest of time. I think they're the new mainstream computer. These mobile devices are going to replace PCs at some point. PCs will just be monitors for your mobile phone. So mobile is not going anywhere. It's just going to become more and more mainstream, and it's going to be less of a division. Are you writing a desktop app? Are you writing a mobile app? Are you writing a web app? Well, everyone's apps are going to have to run on these phones, so it's really just you deciding how you're going to write your app. Holographics, HoloLens, I don't think we're into the 25th century yet. We're not using 3D displays just yet. I got some HoloLens demos at Microsoft. It's an exciting tech. It's about 10 years. (laughs) Uh, We need about 10 more years on it (laughs) before it's actually useful. But um, it's great tech, and I'm sure like things in medical, and unfortunately the military will be using the heck out of it. Yeah, the HoloLens stuff and any of the AR, VR stuff that's out there, for it to be, I, I, you know, I think mass consumer is is where you're hinting at. Not that it's not useful today, but really right. the mass consumer level. So there will be people and definitely are people developing for glasses and HoloLens and all these different things, but they're more of a very niche, 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 niche category <laughs> of, of people and developers looking for very specific use cases. However... I do think that a lot of those features are coming to the phones with AR kit and, and, and core AR, whatever Google's doing, <laughs> all these things. Uh, and even on the desktop with Microsoft to kind of bringing you know, all sorts of different you know, goggles and things like that to the desktop PC. It's interesting that you say that more of the phone will just be a projection onto the, to the screen. Uh, that's interesting. I mean, we're always going to need powerful computers. Like, you're going to want a dev machine that's powerful. But honestly, in 20 years, that's going to mean 30 phones strapped together. Not like a big Intel PC, not a big Intel PC, but lots of little fast ARM chips. So we're we're definitely going in that direction. But um, it's going to be 
the the mainstream is always just going to be the phone and the small laptop and how those two integrate. I especially love those little laptops that are just um, docking stations for your phone. <laughs> They're just a keyboard and a monitor for your phone. That's exactly where I'm thinking everything's going. But if you want to talk about development, like, am I going to be writing .NET 4.5 code on these machines? Probably. <laughs> <laughs> Like, I like if we talk about Horizons, am I going to be writing .NET code on a mobile device in five years? Yes. 10 years? Probably. 15 years? Probably. 20? I don't know so much, but probably. So if you want my personal outlook on what I'm devoting my time to learning and investing knowledge in, I'm not jumping around. That's a good... Yeah, I'm not jumping around either. I think that for me as a .NET developer, that's really growing. I'm kind of expanding my web experimentation a little bit to make sure I can do cross device, cross platform more than cross platform than mobile, but also moving to web a little bit, kind of my finger on the pulse of this web assembly. I hope that I see devices reach and span more of what we see in the shows or in the movies, like the, the Westworld tablets that kind of fold out, I think are interesting and kind of having these holograms, but the type of development that you would do for those would probably be very similar you know, Windows 10 had a continuous type yeah. mode where you could dock and immediately you would see the desktop <sighs> versions of the app. And I thought that was really cool. I don't know if we're there yet. I think that we could be, uh, especially as... That was Microsoft ahead of the times. Microsoft mm-hmm. is always too early on every technology they do. <laughs> they release it before it's fully baked. And um, that one actually, that one seemed more fully Baked. I don't know what the internal status was, but it was super sad that it didn't catch on. But that was just because Windows Phone didn't hold up its end. Yeah, and Samsung's trying to do it. They have it where you can dock Android. Nice. I think whatever the next next operating system from Google will be, whether that's Fuchsia or something else, yeah. has potential there to be this. Oh, it's not only just on all the devices; it's on every device, and that's what Windows 10 was supposed to be, and it is on a lot of devices. And maybe that'll come back. I don't know. I mean, I'm really intrigued by the new ARM uh, devices on Windows running x86 apps. I think that's mm-hmm. pretty flipping cool. Uh, so I don't know yeah, how they did it, but amazing. We're getting craziness in the Mac era to, area too. Um, it may not be this year, but we all still expect to be able to run iOS apps on Mac at some point. So this year, next year, five years, you know, on an infinite timeline, <laughs> eventually it will happen. So... I, I keep begging for that moment because I'm getting tired of writing um, iPad apps and Mac apps because they're so similar. An mm-hmm. iPad is so similar to a Mac at this point that I should just be writing one code base. So I think there is going to be... So there's going to be unification on these classic platforms. And by classic, I mean the ones we're using today, iPads, iPhones, and desktops. But there will be new stuff. There's always new stuff. Um, We thought it was going to be watches and wearables, but it turns out people just want to tell the time and how fast they're going. They're not so interested in those being intelligent. But more wearable tech, I think, is still going to come along. It's just early days for that. And so we'll be back to writing code on tiny little devices again, porting mono over to a pathetic little chip. But that's that's what's fun. That's why I'm kind of in this business. I'm always looking for that new hardware, and it excites me. Uh, I'll be really interested to see where that tiny nanotechnology goes, <laughs> uh, especially when it comes to clothing or things that we're wearing that aren't on our wrists or things like that. And right. 
Google has experimented with this with the Levi brand, and they have some jackets that you can get where there's some sensors built in that are communicating mm-hmm. to do all sorts of different touch things and kind of integrating that into our our life, but not being intrusive uh, at the same time, because we're going to need a lot of time as individuals and people to be comfortable with integrating more and more technology around us uh, and into the things that we're doing. That's why we're not all embedded with NFC chips, you know, yet. <laughs> so eventually. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But um, it's just an adoption curve. Eventually we will be. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so that's a good question. I, I think I it'll, that. Yeah. yeah, it'll be interesting. Uh, some more um, listener questions. We yeah. got more. What do you got? Oh, I was just going to say, in general, I have a very positive outlook, but I think I am an optimist at heart. So. Oh, I, I'm I'm super I'm super optimistic. I think it's a great time to be a developer, and I think we're just going to have more things to develop on and with. And exactly, it'll be fun. Yeah. The next question, I'm going to remix it a little bit, but it's from uh, Francesco, uh, who writes in about, hey, you know, there's a lot of new cross-platform you know, user interface libraries out there. You have Flutter, you have React Native, you've always had Cordova out there uh, that are being used for production, you know, and Xamarin's a huge, you know, staple. Xamarin forms in the cross-platform UI. And he really asked more about like, hey, you know, you talk about these different strategies of creating performant applications. But to me, the real question is, no matter how you're building applications, how do you ensure kind of the best performance? Does that matter? Does startup time matter? Well, what are your thoughts there? Shall I start? Um, I'm sure. I was actually just working on this problem yesterday for a new app I'm working on. And um, I wanted an basically instantaneous startup because I, I know how Mono works. I know how iOS works. And there's absolutely no reason my app shouldn't come up basically instantly. But it wasn't. And so I was going back through and optimizing code. And what I found was I actually really enjoy that last little step of optimization. But let me rewind and say performance 100% is a feature. Um, If your app is slow and laggy and, yeah, slow and laggy, then it's a piece of junk. I'm sorry. (laughs) I mean, (laughs) these are fast little computers. It's the year 2018. We have async and await, a very advanced programming language. If your app is slow, it's your fault. It's not really anyone else's. So Um, I I love optimizing and making things fast. And um, I know my users appreciate it. And I appreciate it just as um, a craftsmanship kind of thing. Yeah, to me, it's always been about removing the unnecessary layers of an application, mm-hmm. but also testing on the devices that maybe your users are using. We don't all have, yeah. you know, Pixel 2s and iPhone 9s and 8s and 10s and whatnot that are out there. But, uh, you know, to me, it's not adding a bunch of junk into my app. Yep. And, and what I mean by that is taking all these dependencies, ensuring that, hey, all this code is swizzled for me and all this stuff is happening and all at startup time. And that's one thing that I look at is saying, hey, when my app starts, I don't want it to do anything. I just want it to display this page. I want it to go and and boom. And, you know, each team, whether it's the Flutter team, whether it's the React Native team, whether it's the Xamarin team, they're all optimizing and trying to get the best performance for their run times. And how do they minimize it? And how do they get even faster boots? And if you watch Miguel's session at, at Build, he talks a lot about the performance that they're doing on the Mac and with iOS and with Android. Uh, for Android, I mean, it's pretty simple. You could just AOT it. That definitely <laughs> makes it a lot faster. 
boom, done. That works. <laughs> nice. It makes your app a lot bigger, but it totally works. And yeah, I think you know, Rack Native has that problem too. It's like, hey, when I start a Rack Native app, I have to use thirty or forty, you know, uh, megs of memory because the whole JavaScript engine has to start up. Yeah, and you know, and if I can add to that, um, I, I don't know if this question was purely about cross-platform, but I have to diverge here. It's cross-platform. This is, and I hate to say it, but this is a little bit of a penalty because if you want to write code that runs everywhere, necessarily it's going to run a little bit worse on some platforms than others. If you do mm-hmm. desperately care about having perfect performance, then you got to make sure that your startup path of your app is fully under your control and you know exactly what it's loading and what it's doing. And, um, it's one of the reasons I love native development. So like native iOS development or native Android development is because you're not dealing with that uh, abstraction layer and you can measure everything down down to the last instruction of why it's taking so long to load. Uh, not that you can't do that with a cross-platform. It's just easier to tune once you, did find, once you do find the bottlenecks. Well, and I think this is a problem not only just for cross-platform development, it's a problem that even iOS or Android developers have. So when people always talk about, oh, startup and cross-platform, oh, no, I've I've read case studies from Lyft and from sure. New York Times yeah. about, oh, we took a lot of shortcuts. We're using this library mm-hmm. and that library and this library, and our startup time on Android was five seconds. Yeah. And we're like, how could it be five seconds? We're writing a native, a native application. It's going right. to be native. <laughs> well, you're using all of this stuff to do stuff that you don't really need. And they're all yeah. shortcuts, which is great. There's trade-offs. Yeah. I think that's really what it is. There's trade-offs between any, not only way you're developing apps, but also the libraries that you're using uh, to build that application. Yeah, you nailed it. I wasn't even thinking it is the more general case that abstraction is kind of the enemy here. It doesn't always have to be. Usually performance is fine, but startup time is that weird spot in your app where maybe you got to break some of the rules of your architecture to make sure it actually happens quickly. Uh, so we had a Luce. Uh, Luce wrote in, which is awesome. She wrote in with a few questions. Uh, what apps or libraries have either of you made that you now regret? Can be for oh. any reason. Maybe it's ongoing maintenance. Want to write it a different way? I don't know, Frank? <laughs> oh, this is funny. Getting right to the heart of it here. Thanks. Mm-hmm. Um, I was always taught you shouldn't have regrets in life. So I, I reject the premise of the question. <laughs> but at the same time, I have huge regrets. <laughs> Um, I, I have two libraries I want to bring up, both of which I think are excellent ideas and B-plus implementations. But what bothers me is I, I know I could turn them into A-plus implementations, but I'd have to break them and redesign them a tiny bit and things like that. I'll bring up uh, my one library, Bind, which was me trying to write a general-purpose two-way binding, data-binding library between basically any two object graphs. It was great for um, building user interfaces that didn't have a binding system built into them, like iOS and Android. But if you're using Xamarin Forms, which most, turns out, Xamarin developers do, they don't really need bind because Xamarin Forms has it built in. That said, there were parts of the implementation. I, I have this idea of how the library should work work and I just can't quite get the code and the syntax to be exactly the way I want it to be. But I, I keep getting closer and closer in my mind. But every time I go to redesign it, I keep running into the same issues. So that that library drives me insane. Um, and then I have another one. Easy layout. 
I just don't like it because it's slow. I want to redesign it to make it faster. <laughs> I hate slow things. Everything should be fast. <laughs> I, I, you know, I look at all my libraries and they've done a lot good. I think that the one that for me is the worst over the years is probably my media plugin. It just, uh, I know you complain worst. about it. It's a lot of maintenance, right? Is that the problem? It's all maintenance and complexity of the operating system of how you have to set up things, how you handle things, not handling. I think I messed up in handling feature requests mm. and bug fixes and CI and CD and took in too many, all too many features. Yeah, 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 too many features. And then also I would say too many features that could only be implemented on a single platform and yeah. then that causes lots of confusion and why is this here and bloat and to me, that's probably my biggest regret. I mean, I love it, but I also hate it because I do use it often. I, I totally use it, but uh, I think that there's weird quirks everywhere. And it's one of those things that's so <laughs> intricate with the yeah. UI. And there's so many flavors of Android that are out there and they can twist and right. tweak everything. So it sounds uh, like you were trying to abstract something, but as Joel Spolsky would say, there it's just a too leaky of an abstraction. The the OS considerations keep bubbling up into the API and making you change it. Does that sound right? Yeah. 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 Sounds right. And we're gonna redo it. I'm pretty sure we're gonna redo it with Xamarin <laughs> Essentials. So uh but you know, I'm still happy. I'm still happy with it. I was reading through the Xamarin Essentials documentation and I was amazed to see one section in every um there's basically a main page for every major part of it. And they limited the, they listed the platform differences. So on iOS, it does this. On Android, it doesn't do that. Or iOS, it completely ignores this parameter. Don't bother. <laughs> and mm -hmm. I loved that because I have seen way too many engineering groups bang their heads against the wall trying to come up with a 100% solution to something. And they just can't. They end up creating this hack and that hack and it becomes a maintenance nightmare left and right. I super appreciate the Essentials Library just being like, no. You can't really change this on iOS. Sorry. <laughs> I love it. Sorry. Yeah. Doesn't do anything. I apologize. We'll try yeah. next. We'll try harder next time, maybe. <laughs> yeah. I, it's I one of those it. things that it's just, it's just hard. It's, it's, it's just out there. And then, yeah, there is some things where just like, oh man, the, this thing's way too complicated. It just, it's not officially supported. Maybe it'll work. Maybe it won't work, but it's definitely not officially supported. Don't, don't assume that this is going to work. If you do this, uh, yeah, that's funny. Yeah, yeah there's it, a lot of good feedback on that. I'm glad you like it. So. I, it turns out documentation trumps the feature. I, I'd much rather have that plain documentation than have like some super hacky vibration thing happening on my phone that doesn't work in the next mm -hmm. OS release. Yeah, see? Yeah. Yeah, it's all about, do I think it's one thing that I've definitely learned is write a lot of documentation <laughs> and and document Too it bad, well. huh? that's one that's Sad. one thing for for a lot of my libraries i've been able to point and say here here it is boom like there you go you know yeah. just so rtfm yeah all right we got a few more ready um you want to read the next one from jose all right i let's see <clears throat> jose so it says both of you seem to switch between mac and windows often using source control on each how do you keep things in sync with git and stay sane. Wow, Jose, who says we're sane? Let's start there. 
<laughs> we're definitely not sane, that's for sure. We were just recorded a hundred episodes of a very nerdy podcast, so sanity, it's questionable. <laughs> but, um, um, well, uh, all I can do is tell you about my setup and say that that allows me to say somewhat sane. So I run on a Mac, and I run Windows in a virtual machine. I pay for it. It's 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 all good, and I um I give it a I give it lots of processors. Uh, you can tell that I use VMware Fusion. You can tell how many processors to use, and I give it lots of RAM. So my goal is to try to have it running at you know some decent fraction of what it would be running if I booted straight into it. So I try to keep a nice big um, Windows going. Now, I've used two strategies in the past for Git between them, and both have pros and cons. So the first is all of my Git projects are actually in a Dropbox folder. And I know this bothers everyone, and they freak out, and they're like, but that means all your files are in Dropbox. I'm like, yeah. And they're like, but then it's always uploading to the internet. I'm like, yeah. And it's great, because then every computer you have is perfectly synced. So I can walk over to any of my machines and resume working, whether I committed the code, whether I branched or not. I like the keeping keeping the distribution of my code separate from Git. Git to me is a historical archiving thing that is used for when I screw up or when I need to branch something. <laughs> That's what Git is. But for just moving the code around, I actually rely on Dropbox. Now on some machines, unfortunately that doesn't work well because my Dropbox is getting very huge and the Dropbox software has a terrible user interface and it's very hard to selectively sync. sync. I know they support it, but it's a terrible UI and I refuse to use it. So in that case, mm-hmm. um, I just do classic Git where I have to remember to actually push and pull constantly. And I hate it. It's Baroque. It's stupid. Um, we've had network drives since the 70s. You should all be using network drives. The end. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm similar, uh, except for I don't use Dropbox, so I'm completely different. Uh, I, I do work between all my machines often, and it, it is definitely an issue. And to be honest with you, I have become very familiar with Git tooling and Git integration and the Git command line. I <laughs> use now the built-in Visual Studio Git stuff that's there. However, I also have bookmarked and docked a link to Git that will launch You know, nice. my Git shell. And over on the Mac side, I use GitHub Desktop still, but I mostly just use the command line to do things. I kind of commit files easily in the GUI version and then do the rest uh, over over with just pure Git. Now, this does have the downside where if I don't commit the code and upload the code, it's not going to be on my other machine. And that's the uh, that's the world I got to live in, Frank. <laughs> it's it's uh, If I don't want to put it in some syncing thing like with OneDrive or Dropbox or Google Drive, I pay for Google Drive, but I never really put my source code there. I think it kind of locks a lot of files on Windows, so I get a little scared there. But uh, I think that's kind of how I just learned Git really complex mm-hmm. and... I use a lot of branches and, yeah. <laughs> you know, a lot of private repos, yeah. you know, whatever. Really? Yeah. yeah, that's just what I use it. And I wouldn't say I'm sane, but I think I'm okay. Like I would say <laughs> I'm like, okay, I'll add it and sounds yeah, healthy. Could be, could be worse. Could be worse. Uh, yeah, I mean, um, definitely over this last year, my Git skills have increased. I just like the peace of mind of the automatic sync. So if I'm in the office, typey, 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 someone says, oh my God, 
my dog ran away. Go help us. I can just get up and run. I don't have to worry about, am I in a branch? Am I, you know, <laughs> is this pushed up to GitHub and all that stuff? No, I can go find the dog, get home and start working again on my laptop. And I just love that seamlessness. I highly recommend it if you don't care about your network bills. And <laughs> <laughs> well, luckily, that. the files are pretty small i guess uh, yeah ben well, and obj ben oh. and obj are quite big and for the longest time i tried to write like dropbox scripts that would automatically not include them but i just gave up and i'm just like whatever it's their problem and it's comcast problem now <laughs> let the bits fly all over the place yeah especially That's since funny. i'm paying for like the pack rat service where they promise never to delete anything so mm. Should be kind of hilarious how big my Dropbox gets by the time I retire. And just the history of all of it. Oh I'm going to love it. Yeah. All right. So now this will be fun because we did have quite a lot of listener questions, but I figured it'd be cool that if I ask a question and oh. you ask a question. Okay. Sure. Uh, we talked a bit about what maybe apps or libraries we regret, but I'm going to keep it simple and say, Frank, what libraries or apps are you the most proud of over the years and why? Mm. Hmm. Oh, you threw in apps here. See, you let me prepare for this at first and said library. So I was thinking there, but I'm, I'm going to do app first. Okay. Just because I, um, I love Kelka. I think it's the weirdest little app and it's the hardest one to explain to people. And uh, to the point where I've given up explaining it, I'm like, it's a markdown editor that does math. I'm like, just use it and maybe you'll <laughs> get it. <laughs> but it's one of those apps. It doesn't make me the most money, honestly, talking about <laughs> transparency with numbers. I can't live off of Kelka, but I love it. It's just, it's, um, I use it every day. It always solves tricky little problems for me. It's my little reassure when I'm not sure if I'm doing something right. I can check it through with Kelka. And I just love it. It's my most beloved little app. <laughs> oh, this is sounding bad. I'm in love with my own app, but that's it. <laughs> uh, I'll go app too, and then we can do libraries. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I will. I'll probably go back all the way to to my media center, the first app I ever built. Mm. Yeah, yeah. It it was something that I worked on for as my first real big big project. It was something that no one else was doing. No one else was allowing you to, you know, control your entire television and DVR system and schedule recordings and view everything and see everything on your mobile devices. And we were in a simpler time of app development. This is 2011, 2012. And uh, I was really impressed. I mean, I took that source code, then I shared it mm -hmm. onto a DVR built box uh, and it sold really well. I was the one app that I actually got featured in Gadget for and had good oh, press. Yeah. It was for a company, so it wasn't me personally sure. building it, but I did personally build it. So I was very pleased with it uh, overall. I think that it was great. I mean, I'm really proud of the Evolve apps, but I think the My Media Center, just the amount of the amount of code, the amount of times I've gone through and upgraded it to different operating systems and backwards compatibility and um yeah it was just fun to work on yeah oh, that's, that's my, cool. my favorite i didn't know uh it got written up like that i have to go dig that one up and go see go see that yeah. ui i remember you showing me screenshots of it in the past oh, oh yeah i'll go see it again you can tell I, I i designed it so yeah come on so libraries libraries is hard for me because i think i'm on record as saying i i hate everything i've ever made um aside from coca <laughs> so 
<laughs> it's hard for me to pick a library that I'm most proud of, but I- I'm going to go for the classic SQLite uh, Dashnet. And that's because that library actually got me into the Mono community, actually talking with other people. It's the library that I've, the most people use, so you can't argue success. Like, if I'm not proud of, if I'm not the most proud of the library that's the most used, then something's a little wrong with me, because <laughs> that's all I'm trying to do with these libraries is help people and, um, yeah, make their, make their lives easier. So SQLite-Net, for everything it's given me, just entry into the community, um, all the wonderful emails from people over the years, it's just been a very satisfying thing to work on. I like that. I like that. I think for me, oh, geez, I could could say that the idea of plugins have uh, been my, my baby. Yeah, it's one thing that I thought our community needed. I think I'm most proud of working on a team on Xamarin Essentials. It's brand new. It's it's out there, but it kind of brings together everything that I believe developers need today for their mobile applications building with Xamarin, at least. Mm-hmm. And I look at it. And it's like I've built a lot of libraries. I'm just scrolling through, and there's so many plugins I think are great, or extensions to VSTS or to BitRise and. Uh, I don't know. I think I'm just the most, most amazed that like, I, I truly finally, after five, four and a half, five years of working at Xamarin and Microsoft, like I built a library that I always wanted. I think that was a really satisfying moment to see the reception back. And I, I, I honestly believe like really full heartedly in that library. Mm -hmm. So I think that's one that really pulls a cord, you know, and Um, makes me feel really good and, and hopefully people like it. So we'll see. Still new. So not only did you get the chance to work on it, but it sounds like you got actually some resources, <laughs> like some money mm-hmm. and some time and some people devoted to it. So you got the chance to do it right too. Like I said, the documentation just, it, it, you should be proud of it because it was taken that far. And I'm just realizing we haven't done a full episode on it yet, have we? So we'll have to do Not that. Yet. Schedule Eventually. Up. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, if add you go to back to yeah, add it to the list. If you go back to the audit episode, that's what we were talking about pretty Yeah, pretty in vague terms. Because yeah. it was still soft launched at that point. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> wow. A hundred episodes. How in the world did we do this? A lot of coffee and mm-hmm. a lot of uh, water and a lot of me paying for uh, fireside hosting. So. <laughs> Our patrons and sponsors paying for Fireside Hosting, hopefully. <laughs> That's true. That's actually what happens. You, our listeners, keep this show alive, not only just by by being awesome and listening. I mean, that's half the battle, but leaving reviews on Apple Podcasts. And uh, that really just also brings, you know, joy to us, I think, every single yeah. time we read a review and just hear stuff. I mean, I don't know. Uh, what do you want to do next? What's What's for the next 100 episodes, Frank? The next 100. Well, I think we should pivot and turn into a one-wheel discussion group. Oh, there we go. Um, Yeah. Uh, So the first... No, no, we're not giving any away. That's a terrible idea. I guess we'll still talk about programming. I still... I, I, I actually asked the question earlier, do we have anything left to talk about, James? <laughs> What's <laughs> left in programming? Have we covered every subject? Have we talked functional to death? Have we talked architectures to death? I don't think we have. I think there's room to go. <laughs> so I think we're going to continue on doing what we do with maybe just a few more interview shows here or there. I think I would like to 
spice it up a little bit. I know that a lot of listener feedback as they do, you know, not everyone's a Xamarin developer. We're not a Xamarin specific Mm -hmm. podcast, even though we do talk about Xamarin often. (laughs) Yes. But we do talk about iOS and Android, kind of more mobile and .NET focused. And there's so much happening in that space where, you know, I think that we'll continue to talk about these subjects of interest, things that are interesting to both you and me is what we'll be talking about. And also things that we want to learn, we can bring on the experts to, you know, fill us in. And I think that's one thing that doing the interview shows kind of, um, it made us realize that, Hey, we can actually interview people. Like that's the thing that can happen and people want to come on and talk and it's fun. Yeah. I think you just named that segment too. It's going to be called bring on the experts. This would be like Frank and James over their head, (laughs) bring on the experts, (laughs) bring on the experts. All right. Well, I I guess that's going to maybe do it for episode 100, one hour in. What do you think? Ooh, is this going to be our longest episode? Episode 100, our biggest ever? The biggest and best. Biggest and best episode. (laughs) How can we make it the best? How can we make this the best ending ever? Well, I got nothing. I think think just uh, the classic uh, classic outro. Here we go. You ready for it? It's coming, right? I got this. I got this. Okay. Well, you can, of course, find us everywhere on the internet at Merge Conflict FM is our Twitter at James Montemagno at Proclarum is ours. You can, of course, go to mergeconflict.fm where you can write into the show. You can participate and, and read and comment on every single episode. Uh, you can become a patron and get access to our Discord, an exclusive behind-the-scenes podcast, and a whole lot more. If you're using Apple Podcasts, please leave us a review or share it and like us on Overcast. We would love you for absolutely ever. So that's going to do it for this week's Merge Conflict. I'm James Montemagno. And I'm Frank Krueger. Thanks for listening. Peace. Peace.